0: Science or machine learning, but are now working in the field. Um, this is your host, Ali Mojde, and today I'm excited to have my uh, friend Niels Bentilen with me, and we're going to talk about his journey into data science. Um, he's uh, he's currently chief ML engineer at Union AI, uh, but before that, he had an exciting journey um, to get to this point. Uh, Niels, uh, welcome to It's All the Yes.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Ali. Super excited.
0: Uh, no worries. Um, thank you for being here. And let's let's just get right into it. Um, what was your background? What did you do in school?
1: Yeah, so in undergrad, I studied biology and dance. So I did a, a major in biology. I minored in dance. Um, I went to Oberlin College. So that's it's something that you kind of do uh, in liberal arts college. So, yeah, I um, I kind of did some research in a developmental biology lab. Um, on the dance side, I did some breakdancing, uh, uh, b-boying, b-girling, if that's the more accurate statement. I um, also did some modern dance. So, yeah, that, that was like my undergrad experience. Um, and then I went to grad school. I guess to back up, after graduating, I I joined an immunology lab uh, in New York. So I spent a few years kind of doing uh, lab technician type stuff, basically taking care of mice uh, and doing you know whatever was needed by the uh, the PhDs and postdocs in in that lab. Um, basically, and then I work. decided, yeah, you know, so exactly, just literally washing beakers and, and, and test tubes and, and, you know, doing that assays, uh, PCR, uh, confocal microscopy, uh, what else? Yeah. Things, things like that. And after a few years, I pivoted over to public health. Um, I was kind of interested in this intersection of different disciplines that, um, I think it was a book by Michael Pollan, uh, omnivore's dilemma. I read that book and and realized there was this wider world of not just thinking of these kind of scientific disciplines, but also how to apply them, uh, in different settings. So public health seemed like an interesting field to me because you uh, essentially translate things in the hard and the soft sciences uh into either policy or interventions um to improve people's health so that that was something that i thought was interesting so i applied to grad school uh with a for an mph and that's when i had to decide you know what kind of specialization i wanted to get to, into so i picked um sociomedical science that that was uh, a kind of special, a specialization within the, the program in, in Columbia, uh, in New York. So I picked that kind of just because I didn't, I didn't really see myself as a quantitative person actually, or a computer, <laughs> like computer science person at all. Uh, I, at that time I was actually in New York, uh, doing this lab technician job and doing, uh, dance on the side actually after work. I would, uh, I would go to practices. This was mainly break dancing, um, breaking, uh, yeah, I would go to practices. I would go to battles. I would, you know, do, do that thing for, for, uh, you know, af- after, after hours. And, um, for some reason the, so just to define sociomedical science, it is the intersection of behavioral science sociology anthropology and public health so how do you understand the different dimensions of health and it's not just like you go to the doctor and you you know eat well and then you're healthy or you like go to the doctor when you're sick get a vaccine or antibiotics or treatment right it's it's like this holistic problem of essentially like what are the different ways in which people become chronically you know ill right there uh, I give you a, a concrete example of food deserts where in general if you are in a poorer area of any place that you're living there is strong evidence suggesting that it's very hard to get produce or healthy food in those areas right uh, and you're only only... Alternative is fast food or junk food, um, processed foods. So these are like the situations that people find themselves in that kind of lead to, after some period of time, them showing up at the ER. Um, so, yeah.
0: Cool. Um, so when when was your undergrad and master's? What year? I'm Just uh, chronologically, I want to make sense of this.
1: Yeah, yeah. So undergrad was... 2005 to 2009. Okay. Um, I had a brief stint as a dancer. Uh, we can get <laughs> into that later. But uh, So this was in Ohio. And then uh, Oberlin College, as I mentioned. And then I moved to New York in two- 2010. Um, I worked at that lab for about two years. And then I... Uh, did uh, grad school from twenty twelve to twenty fifteen so, so I was kind of like i was i was part timing grad school so right. it, which took me three years okay um yeah
0: cool so I think in the spectrum of things that are far from data science, I think dancing is like right at the farthest um <laughs> So yes. it's it's pretty cool that you're uh, you did a minor in dancing and and now you're 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 a chief ML engineer. Um, this is pretty cool. So um, let let let's talk about your courses in under, undergrad and masters. Um, how how math heavy were they? Do you have any coding there? Um, any math?
1: Yeah. So the I took. one math class and one CS class in undergrad. Um, I took a discrete math class, which is super fun. I I really liked it, Uh, but you know, I was sort of on track to do biology, and that that, my mindset back then was just like, okay, we'll just do biology. Uh, That was my first year, and then I discovered dance, and I had kind of like this existential crisis of I'm not sure, I really love this thing, because it it kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm not super religious, but like spiritually, like dance allows you to sort of transcend your, all the stuff in your, you know, like all the stuff in your head that you, you know, you get stuck and you kind of, uh, I don't know. It allows you to just drop all of that and just embody yourself. And you know, forget all of your worries and stuff. So, uh, yeah, there's there's that. After my second year, I sort of um, started exploring other stuff in 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 college. So, I I, I kept with my my biology coursework, but I, then I I did that discrete math course. I did intro to CS, which was in in Java, which I also also enjoyed. You know, I, I I think I did well on both of these classes, but it's sort of like I didn't really connect the dots. I had no real context of where I would ever use these things and i i again, I think it's there's this thing where you have this mental model about who you are, your identity, and like math and c s wasn't it for me, mm-hmm. so I didn't pursue it
0: yeah um did you have a thesis in your master's?
1: Yes, I did um my thesis was in the area of development, bi- developmental biology. Uh, it's been a while, but effectively, I was studying... Um, this was Dr. Yolanda Cruz, amazing professor in, in biology in, in Oberlin. Um, she studies marsupials and marsupial development. And from what I remember, we were studying protein expression in the early stages of marsupial embryological development where you know essentially the question is what are the proteins that you can find where you the 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 body uh, where the embryo is forming such that you can identify where the body is going to be on this on the embryo Um, so it's very like pretty low level biological you know protein expression processes that you know, in hindsight, I can, I can, I have this framework now of biology as like the coding language that God created, that we have no idea how it works. And we're just introducing bugs and we're just like, kind of like seeing what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, there is kind of like first principles analysis, I guess, in biology, but a lot of the work is, is sort of, Hey, here's this gene pathway. Let's break it and see what happens. Yeah
0: and uh yeah. i think when when you mentioned that as a side note it uh, reminded me of the book language of god uh by uh dr francis collins amazing book uh, oh cool i read it twice yeah it's it's really good um so let's let's talk about after your masters um uh, first of all like how how many years have you been working in in data science
1: about 8 years now so eight years, i so after i graduated yeah. Yep. Correct.
0: Okay. So, what happened after you? How did you get into it?
1: Oh man, purely the the foot in the door was purely uh, just luck and perseverance, pretty <laughs> much. The, the the statistics were, you know, probably familiar to a lot of listeners, right? It's like hundred out of hundred job applications, you get ten. Where you you kind of get far along and then you get one offer and you're, yeah. you're like sure I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Just to survive, I don't want to starve to death. Yeah, and uh, I mean at the time I was seriously considering going into in, into the the public health route, mm-hmm. um, but but by two, 2015 I like started coding in grad school or 2012 13. And I just fell in love with it, so by the time twenty fifteen hit, I just like that other option of public health wasn't really an option in my mind. I just really wanted to get into uh tech ideally in like health tech space
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, how did you learn coding like did you s- s- self teach yourself or or a did
1: a combination so okay. like in so yeah, in the public health program. Uh, there are a lot of stats classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we learned stata, of which course. is, I, yeah, uh, which is a thing. And I took a so I started cross-registering to other departments in mm-hmm. in Columbia. So I took the my like formative coding class was actually not in the CS department, but was in the Earth Sciences department. So it was called Complexity science, and complexity science is its own own whole field. But in on in that class, we used Python as our programming language of choice to kind of run simulations, do agent based modeling, Mm -hmm. uh, various other techniques like this. And I just, I was like, wow, Python is great. I I just really like this, and I kind of from there, I. I took like intro to data science, uh, some machine learning classes in grad school, but, um, you know, did Coursera and like, just all the things I could possibly do. Cause I felt, you know, we can talk, I'll talk about imposter syndrome, but at the time I was just like, I felt so behind, uh, that I just was just gobbling up as much as I could, uh, online and in books and, uh, courses. Yeah. Um,
0: so what was your first role there? Um,
1: yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, I, I got a, a job as a data scientist at a startup called arena. Hmm. Um, it is a HR, HR analytics platform that essentially um, provides tools to hiring managers um, to help, you know, Filter through job candidates and and things like this, and um, the the client base was main mainly in hospitals. So I I saw that and I was like, okay, this is not exactly in the healthcare space, but it's close enough, and I think I'll learn a lot. And and I definitely did. Mm-hmm.
0: So you got your your foot in the door of uh, Did you exclusively apply to data science and ML jobs back back then, or? Any jobs related to public health and tech?
1: Um, Mostly data science. I I think during my exploration, I had looked into web development and I tinkered around with it. But I I think at the end, I I like working with data and especially modeling data to figure Mm -hmm. out something that's not immediately apparent.
0: Right. And those were the days where actually um, the field was... Um, starting out um, to be, like, I think it was uh, 2012 that, like, data science really became a thing. Um, so 2015, still pretty early. Um, but you mentioned an imposter syndrome. Um, how did you feel when you started the job? Um, w- were you confident enough? Was the team, did you already have a data scientist working uh, or it was just you?
1: Luckily, um, so this first role, I was, in this first role, I was hired under a VP of data at this company already. Um, And, you know, I've had various mentors throughout the year, kind of like informal, I would say. Um, But, you know, I was very lucky to have been hired. And it was like, she was taking a chance, you know, I was just like, I have I, I had some credentials it just it, on paper of just like oh I'd gone to the school, I've taken these classes, I've done these side projects and it's like, you know, there's there's value in hiring a junior person and you know, that's definitely in my mind as I now am looking for folks, you know, to join um mm-hmm. to join my team and and you know, obviously moving into the future, but um there was another also another data scientist that was hired uh, around the same time, so it started off as a team of four, actually. Um, so we we were we were all yeah. It it was even though it was early, we um and we we're to be honest, a lot of us were kind of just figuring things out as we went. Mm-hmm. Um, we were fortunate enough to work very closely with an engin- the engineering team at this company, and uh, there was a lot of kind of cross pollination of ideas and education both going both ways
0: yeah that's um uh that's very interesting to hear um so when you um when you got into the field um throughout your journey did you um i guess did you change what what type of work you were doing so like for example did you start as like just data scientist and then moved into like computer vision or NLP, or, or you just kept on uh, working as a data scientist? How, how did that turn out?
1: Yeah. So for my, that first company, I was a data scientist. Um, and there we did a combination of, uh, kind of classical kind of models. Um, think logistic regression, uh, tree-based, you know, classifiers. Uh, survival models, these are, you know, uh, I think used pretty often in, in industry. Uh, some data engineering work. But uh, yeah, most of it was, it, it was a fairly n- simple setting where the data set was just like a single data set. We weren't really, you know, augmenting it or or do it, adding, you know, third party data. We had, you know, our proprietary data. That's what he got to work with, and we essentially just tried to optimize the heck out of this this model, squeeze as much performance out of it as possible. Um, when I changed was when I moved uh, companies, and that's when I kind of changed to the ML engineer title.
0: Okay. Um, cool. And one question I asked uh, Rezo, the previous uh, previous guest. Was that, do you think it was easier to get into the field back then? Um,
1: it's hard to say, but I kind of feel like just from where I sit now, yes, mm-hmm. because there's a funny thing that happens when um, part of these job titles is like marketing, but I think there's actual signal there, right? Like... Part of it is data scientists, you can think of as a repackaged statistician with mm-hmm. more tools, like yep. different, more and different tools that are like more CSE, I,
0: mm-hmm. I
1: guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think, you know, it's it's important to, to distinguish between the two. Um, and same thing with ML engineer and same thing now with AI engineer or whatever we want to call, like people who use language models to build systems where you're not updating, you know, so... I mean uh but yeah I think back then because there was a new title every time this happens there can be this people can sort of retool and reskill themselves and because the supply like labor supply isn't as high I guess then you can sort of you can sort of squeeze your way in and put get your foot foot in the door um whereas today Data scientists, the data scientist role is a little bit more mature. Companies are a little, you know, uh, wiser to what business needs actually map onto that role. Um, There is a bit maybe of a hype cycle dynamic of just like, oh, I want a data scientist, you know, as an executive of a company. And you just have all these hopes and dreams of the unicorn that comes in and just like transforms your business and, you know, makes you more money, but then the reality hits and there's like a kind of correction there. Um, so it's, it's harder, I would say now, Mm -hmm. uh, for probably many reasons, but, um, yeah.
0: I think the main reason is that there is a lot more competition, um, right now. Um, but as a chief ML engineer, um, do you get, do you receive, uh, many, um, um, uh, resumes, uh, with people without like, uh, directly related university degrees?
1: Um, yes, I, I can, I can speak to this now that like, I have a, a, an open role. So this is not a, a advertisement for that, but I, I am now that, now that there is an open position for, for my team. Um, I would say a lot of people do have sort of like the academic backgrounds, but I am similarly seeing people who don't but have industry experience. Right. Um, and, and I should say I, I am hiring for a more senior role, so, oh. uh, I guess the expectation is kind of like master's, PhD slash, in equivalent industry experience. So I, I, I guess the resumes I am seeing reflect those two um sorts of trajectories
0: makes sense uh recently uh our team had a had an opening um, and we took took a look at resumes um actually it was for data engineer um but even for data engineer we saw a lot of resumes that weren't they, they didn't have uh academic ba- academic uh background related to data engineering which was really interesting to see but they they had like industry experience which um for the specific role that we were looking for was the most important thing um the industry experience uh, but yeah these days um people are getting into the field from from any any uh, sort of background and it's uh it's amazing so uh, before we wrap up. Um, I want to do the data science joke of the day with you, if if that's okay.
1: Sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, <laughs> uh,
0: why can't data scientists be good tailors? Any ideas?
1: Oh man, oh, I, I was afraid that the the riddle would be too hard for me. <laughs>
0: It's okay uh, if you don't that's, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, I don't know.
1: I I can't I can't get I can't come up with a clever guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, Because they're afraid of overfitting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like that. I like that. I I, I in my mind I was going t- for like the the measuring twice cut once, but I couldn't know oh, yeah, that, 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 that was that was covered too. Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, um and, any final nice. comments, any 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 notes?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, even though the data science field is more competitive, I think I think like the broader space of like data science, ML research, ML engineering, data engineering, analytics, like there is because I think there's way more investment in like the tech stack related to essentially getting value out of data. Um, it's a great side effect of the whole premise of this podcast, like people without the traditional backgrounds coming into it is I think there's just a lot more diversity in, and just like the way people think yeah, and uh, you know, the ideas they bring and the back backgrounds they bring with them. And you know, that that's something I'm right now, actually I'm reading this book by uh, Kenneth Stanley and I forget, sorry, the other author, but it's, um, you know, why greatness cannot be planned, essentially. Um, and the whole premise of this book is, you know, you like, if we look at back at a lot of the world changing inventions, a lot of the stepping stones had nothing to do with the inventions itself. Like, they talk about planes being invented by the Wright brothers, and the way they thought about it was like planes were just bikes in the air, mm-hmm. right? Uh <laughs> and the same with computers, like the things that led to the invention of computers, the stepping stones were completely unrelated, um, seemingly, right? So I have no idea how dance relates to machine learning, but uh there there are some like recurring patterns that that I see that are, that are it is a, a big stretch, but I think the the more people who come from other backgrounds that get into this field, the better. Um and yeah I think it's part part of the this hiring pipeline is that hiring managers should be more open minded and should you know give people a chance i think no
0: yeah. um very well said um and uh, yeah I, I I totally agree um especially with the uh, with the advent of new tools that are coming out I think um having a university degree uh, is becoming uh, less uh, ne- less necessary I guess as as it, as it, as it used to be like maybe like 30 years ago um so yeah i i believe hiring managers need to be a bit more open minded about that and and uh, thank you so much for for uh being here i think our listeners are going to really enjoy this conversation i really appreciate it um And yeah, you can uh, make sure to follow uh, Niels uh, on LinkedIn. And if you're someone who uh, wants to be on our podcast, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. um, Tell me your story and and we can chat. Um, I'm your host, Ali Mojdeh, and have a good day. Thanks, Ali.